Dr. Goffin has dedicated his life to God and ministry, bridging the gap for the one new man, one new man, teaching his people the principle of prayer, praise, and power. Hebrews is being, it was a, it is a new order book. It is a new order book because in Hebrews, the Lord does something interesting that he didn't do with anybody else in terms of uh, dealing with worship. Hebrews for the New Testament is a book on transitional worship because the writer has got to get everyone there to understand that the order of worship has changed. It is not the ritual worship of the Old Testament where worship was done in a temple and in a building and by objects. Now there was a new order of worship. And the things that worship represented for us in the Old Testament, they were representative. In the New Testament, they actually become manifest. It is this understanding that the writer of Hebrews, and sometimes we need to do this, what I, what I would like to get us to remember as we study some other things in Hebrews is where we are with refreshed church. Um, people have been churching for a long time. In fact, for over 2,000 years, people have been doing what they call, and a lot of times what we call in our day of time, going to church. Where in the first century, the concept was to be the church. Not go to church, but be the church. So there's a difference between going to church and being the church. In fact, in the Old Testament, they went to church because they had to go to a physical temple. And the physical temple was there so that they could go to and they could worship and they could be a part of worship in that temple. In the New Testament, they did not, as the writings of the New Testament are written, they did not have a place of worship. In fact, if they worshiped, they had to sneak to worship. They had to worship in homes, they had to worship in hiding, but they had to keep the word in their heart. It was, it was sort of what uh, David does in Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So that word that, that keeps hiding in our heart, that keeps beginning to, to keep us in mind, keeps us in that place that we can understand. Now before we read the text, I want us to understand some dynamics of Hebrews. Because he's trying to change the mindset of a people because, and if you really understand the book of Hebrews, it is a book. If you want to understand the subject of Hebrews, the subject of Hebrews is about worship wars. It is worship wars. Because it's about people being accustomed and adjusted to one form of worship and God trying to transition them to another form of worship. And sometimes it is hard to move people from what they're used to and from what they're used to being involved in. And I want us to understand that as we become involved in the church, and especially in getting the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we want the power of the Holy Spirit without the discipline of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that a lot of people want to feel good about God, but they don't want to live good for God. So feeling and living are two different things. And we got to learn that we got to move beyond the feeling in church, about just feeling good, about just having a good time, and that when we leave the doors of this fellowship, we got to live what we say. And we got to be a part of what it is. So in that light, the writer in Hebrews is trying to share. And the key word in Hebrews is better. Key word is better. Everything in Hebrews is about there's a better. In other words, you've been used to one way of doing things, but there's a better way. 
And so the idea is there's a better way. There's a better than Moses here. There's a better than Solomon here. There's a better than Meshezedek here. There's a better than any of the Old Testament heroes, heroes of faith. There's a better. And the better is Jesus, because what Jesus wants to get us to is a new order of worship. So let me cover here in um, chapter 12, verse 14. Let's read the text, and let's exegete verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Make every effort, the Navi, to live at peace with all men. Now, what does that mean? Make every effort to live at peace. It means that you shouldn't be in war. Now, now, I have to set up the background to the text before we move to the holiness part so you can understand what's going on. Because saying this was a powerful statement to the people of the day because the Romans had them in persecution. And in persecution for Christians, in fact, they had a double-edged sword. Not only were they being persecuted by the Romans, but they also were being persecuted by other Christians. So here you have, and most of the Christians were Jewish in the first 30 years. So that means Christianity was based in Judaism. Just like for us, most of us in our circles may be black. And so we think of our style of worship as being the best style of worship. You know, some of you can't even get with some of the worship songs I sing because you're used to singing hard gospel songs because you, you don't really understand what's going on in terms of what God trying to do in terms of getting us to a new order of worship. So in terms of looking at that, it's not really the style of the songs. It's the expression that the songs bring and what's, what's going on. So we have to understand how we have to move from one sense of blessing to the other so we can, we can get together. I'm trying to get back to the point that we can put our words up here on the screen again, and then y'all can learn the words with me. As we, uh, as we sing them, we used to project our words on the wall. So we're working on that. We're going to put project our projector from the ceiling and put them on the wall. Then y'all can see the words, and y'all can get into it as we, uh, we develop worship together. But that's some of the things we're going to grow into. But we're in an age of refreshing. And Bishop Gavin said it very clearly that we, as we refresh in, in Proverbs, as you refresh somebody else, you will be refreshed. The idea is not to be selfish in what you're doing. So here, here we are here. He says, make every effort to live at peace with all men. In other words, he's trying to keep them from going to war. Stop fussing and complaining, trying to talk about your worship is better than the other, your thing is better than the other, the sacrifices that Moses talked about and the things that were going on, it's over because it's reached its fulfillment. And what the Jews had not quite understood is that just because many of them were coming into Christianity, they had to drop the old form of worship. Because all that they did in the old form of worship was really representing where we are now. It is where we come into this morning of the bread and the blood of Jesus Christ. That his body and his blood fulfilled everything. If you want to be honest, everything in the Old Testament has been fulfilled by the blood of Jesus. So we don't need to go back to Jewish practices. Because all that Judaism represented, represented what was going to be. And since what was going to be had not yet developed, they had to keep on practicing ritual worship until the real worship came. So follow peace with all men. In other words, don't, and here are three things you have to understand that the scriptures dictate about following peace. Number one, don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. Number two, don't be angry. Anger, bitterness, and number three, 
don't take out your wrath on anybody else. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? It really takes us to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, because these are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. When you deal with bitterness, anger, and wrath, all three of these are emotions that move us away from the things of God. So you got to live peaceably with all men. The first part of our text, living peaceably means living without anger, without wrath. See, when you live with wrath, wrath means you strike out. Anger, you can hold in. Wrath, you strike out. You can strike out with your tongue, you can strike out with your look, or you can strike out with your hand. Your look, hand, or tongue strikes out at people. All because many times you're angry. And your anger, your anger, most of the time we get angry because things are not our way. We get angry about not having our own way. That's what makes us angry. Get angry because things aren't like we assume it should be. We have our own style, our own taste. We assume if things are the way we want it, then we're satisfied. You know, how many of you have ever returned back food in a restaurant you didn't like the first time? I have a policy. I never like to get, give back food more than one time to the cook. I'm ready to go. Because if I have to give back more than once, I don't want to play with my food. So I, I'm, I'm just usually ready to leave if I have to return the food back more than one time. Because I don't want the cook playing with my food. I don't want to make the cook mad. Because I don't want to mess with my food. So, you know, all this junk. I used to have a friend used to always say, tell a cook he can eat it. I said, don't tell a cook nothing. I don't want him playing with my food. So I'm blessing because I don't know what kind of impurities. I don't know what they're doing back there. So, I, Lord, bless this food. Take out all the impurities that we can deal with. So sometimes our anger is not because things are not right, but simply because we don't have our way. And our way is not the only way. If a man's ways please the Lord, the Bible says he'll make your enemies to be at peace with you. So our ways have got to please God's ways. God hasn't got to give us our way. Many times we have problems because we want God to give us our way. We want him to give us things. We want him to give us provisions. We want him to give us what we want. You know, I want what I want when I want it. You know, you want your stuff and you want it now. Well, you know, you hear that commercial all the time on TV. I want my money and I want it now. Well, God said, I'm going to give you some things, but not now. What you need to do now is hear his voice. Hebrews say, at the day you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Why? Because now the acceptable time, the time is now is to hear. The time is not to get, but to hear. We get in mad with God because we don't have our own way. Because things are not the way we want them. How many of you realize that your ways are not God's ways? Well, let me show it to you. Whole, whole Hebrews 12. Go to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55. I'm going to stop quoting so y'all can learn how to find your Bible, things in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, 7, and 8. Isaiah 55, verse 6, says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
That simply means that in the age of grace, there is a time that God will be merciful and be gracious to hear you, but there's a coming time that you're going to keep calling and God won't hear you. And the reason why he won't hear you is because you weren't obedient to him. When you refuse to be obedient, how can he, you expect him to hear you? So he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Because it may be a day you call him and he turns a deaf ear. So while he's listening, call him. Call upon him while he is near. The implication is, if he's trying to warn you that there's going to time, in verse 6, let's stay in verse 6, there's coming a time that he won't be found, there's coming a time that he won't be there. And he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him to our God and he will freely pardon. Verse 8, for your thoughts, the Lord, this is the Lord speaking now, for your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither your ways are my ways, saith the Lord. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, the reason I had you read Isaiah is because I want you to understand that God is not in the business of trying to please you. The real issue is you should be in the business of trying to please him. Go back to Hebrews. Turn over to chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without trust, without conviction, without love, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards them who earnestly seek him. Now, I want you to pad it and get in your mind Hebrews 11 and 6 with Isaiah 55 and 6 because there's a correlation here. He says, seek him while he may be a found. He says in Hebrews 11 and 6 that you got to call him because, and see, faith basically, the word faith is not in the Old Testament, by the way. You won't find the word faith in the Old Testament. What you find in the Old Testament that is an exact correlation with faith is the word trust. The Bible says all the time, trust in the Lord, because that's what faith is. Faith is blindly trusting in God. It is simply believing, somebody gave an example one, it's believing that God says, put you to the end of the cliff and say, walk. And you say, well, there ain't no steps there. There's no land there. God says, walk. In other words, God said, he's trying to see how much you trust him. Because by the time you step, God has already made provisions for you to have solid ground. But you got to trust God. In other words, God wants you to be able to move where you don't know that you can trust where you're going. Because if you can see where you're going, it's not faith. Because we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Which means that if we're going to trust God, we got to believe that he holds tomorrow. That we know what today looks like. Today it looks like nothing's going to work out. Today it looks like things are going to be messed up. But how do you know what God is planning for you on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? You don't know, but you got to trust him that he's going to make it better. Because when you please him, in other words, when you worship him, when you trust him and you pray with all you got, God said, I've got your tomorrow. 
So I've already planned your future while you're dealing with your present. So stop stressing over your present when you become a worshiper. Because all you got to do is worship him, and he's already planning your future while you're trying to worry about today. All right, now here's, here's the real issue. Chapter 12, verse 14. I'm trying to take it through slow so you can understand. Make every effort to live at peace with all men. Now, let me tell you that the first part of verse 1 is not possible until you understand. The first part of verse 14, I'm sorry, is not possible until you understand the last part of verse 14. Look what it says. Make every effort to live at peace with all men and be holy. I'm on my series now. And be holy. Without holiness, no man can see the Lord. So what are you saying? Without holiness, no man can see the Lord. Now, now this is a powerful verse. You've got to make every effort to live at peace. And holiness without. Some people try to interpret this verse to mean that holiness without means that you've got to look like you different from everybody else. So that's how we got this verse all mixed up with trying to wear long dresses, no makeup, men only wearing white shirts and black ties and black suits because we thought that we had to look holy on the outside. And looking holy on the outside is going to make us want to be holy on the inside. So there was a, I grew up in a holiness church movement because in the holiness, they came out of the Methodist church which tried to get themselves apart from the rituals of the Catholic Church. In other words, you cannot worship God by rituals. Let me, let me explain that to you. Coming to church on Sunday doesn't make you saved. You're not saved because you come to church. You're not saved because you give an offering. You're not saved because you hold your hands up in service and say, thank you, God. You're saved because you become the church, not because you go to church. So I feel, well, as long as I go to church, I'm all right. No, I'm not. You're not saved because you go to church. You're saved because you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. If you really love God, if you really love God, because that's where we are now, if you really love God, then you will be obedient to what he says. Jesus says this to his disciples as he's ready to leave. He says, if you are my disciples, you will do whatsoever I command you. Now, it is rightly true that I cannot expect you, your behavior to be different if your thinking is not different. So we cannot admonish people for doing things in their behavior until we change their thinking. Because until their mind gets captured, because what you got to get your mind in first is that I got to live peaceful with all men. I got to stop being angry about not having my way. I got to stop striking back at people because they do stuff to me. You know, Jesus said, you heard it said in the, in the law, an eye for an eye and a two for a two. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Love those that hate you. Love those that despitefully use you. Now, you've got to stop getting yourself in the point, because what Jesus is saying here, to live peacefully, is that you've got to stop trying to pay everybody back. Stop trying to get even. Stop trying to deal with everything evenly so that you deal with everything, everybody the same way. I'm going to get you because you did me. No, live peacefully. It's not about getting your payback. 
It's about loving God. You ain't got, look, look, you ain't really got to love that person so much as you love God. Because don't try to love people. Let me, let me tell you how, how it really works. That, stop trying to love people. You ain't got to love Reese. You ain't got to love Thomas. You ain't got to love Ethel. You ain't got to love Sharon. What are you talking about? Don't I have to love them? Bible said I got to love, love people. No, you got to love God. Because if you love God, something about the love of God will cause you to love everybody else. See, you're focusing it wrong first. Don't try to get along with everybody else till you can get along with him. Because if you're not in communion with him, it doesn't matter whether or not you're in communion with anybody else. The order is to get in communion with him. In other words, if I get my personal worship together, if I personally read my scriptures, if I personally talk to God, see, some people want, God, want us to talk to God for them because they never talk to God for themselves. Sometimes people come to get prayer, to get prayed for, who never pray their own self. It's all right to get prayer, but it also is all right for you to ask God for yourself. But let me tell you what it really is about. Because what it's really about is that you've got to get your heart and your mind straight. Your heart. See, the Bible deals with the heart in two areas. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about your physical heart. It's talking about two things that involve your heart. It involves your thinking and your emotions. So when the Bible talks about your heart, every time you see in the Bible about your heart, when he says, let not your heart be troubled, don't let your mind be troubled, don't let your emotions be troubled. Don't get upset. Don't let your, your thinking get all crazy because I'm leaving. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your thinking go crazy. Don't wonder, what's going to happen to me? Jesus is going away. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. Don't get all, all freaked out. People want to get the feeling of the Holy Spirit. I said in the beginning. They want to get the feeling, but they don't want to get the power. I know, that, that's just the anointing in me. When that anointing comes, that spark's going to come. And I know that anointing hitting that, them sparks are going, going on. I don't know what's going on with this mic, but the spark goes. But let me show you something else. Psalm 66, 18. Psalm 66, 18. Psalm 66. We're getting back. Keep Hebrews, Hebrews uh, 12, 14, because I'm not through there. But I want to show you this. See, the, uh, the, the Jews misunderstood this text. And they tried to use it as a weapon against people who were seeking God. And they misunderstood. Let me take you up to verse 16. Psalm 66. Let's start at verse 16. Psalm 66, 16. Come and listen. All you who fear God, let me tell you what he has done for me. If you fear God, now fear in the Old Testament, when you see fear in the Old Testament, it means to trust. If you fear God, you trust him. It doesn't mean to be frightful. 66, 16. It, it doesn't mean to be frightful. It means to trust him. It mean, fear means to reverence to honor, to trust. The Hebrew word translated fear in the English means to reverence, to honor, to trust. So come all you and listen, all you who reverence, honor, and trust God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. See how external you can have things sometimes? Verse 18, 
But if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would, have not, would not have listened. In other words, the King James says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord had not listened. If I, because sin in the Old Testament has three different Hebrew words. We translate them by, by one word sin means iniquity. Iniquity means what you think. Because when you talk about iniquity, iniquity is really wrong thinking. So when you have iniquity, the word iniquity, the old English iniquity, means that you have wrong thoughts in your mind. So you can sin by your thinking. It was because of the imagination of every man in Genesis chapter 6, because the imagination had gotten so bad that the Lord said, because of their imagination, that I'm going to destroy the whole world. Because man's thinking, because your thoughts are so powerful, because life and death are in the power of the tongue, that if I let them continue with that thought pattern, it's going to be messed up. So instead of letting them continue, I better wipe them out because i got to wipe that thinking out of the earth. That's why the flood came. The flood came because your thoughts were so powerful that it was going to change the very nature of what God wanted to do in the earth. So since God wanted to do something different, God says, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the earth so I can filter out all of that crazy thinking. And I can start a new world with thinking that's going to please me. And here's our problem. Here's our problem in church. We have geared everything to expecting God to satisfy us. And because we want God to satisfy us, we get angry, we get bitter, and we want to strike out and go home and take our marbles and our Bible and not go to church anymore because things haven't happened our way. The psalmist says, come and listen to me. I cried out to him, verse 16. All you who honor, reverence, and trust God, let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. So I, I've been like you. I've been where you were, but I cried out to him. But let me tell you what happened. If I had cherished wrong thoughts in my mind, the Lord would not have heard. Just because I'm praising don't mean nothing. If I'm not living right, the Lord's not going to hear me. Because i got to please him. He don't have to please me. But I need him to pay my rent. What have you done for him? But I need him to give me a new job. What, is he, what have you done for him? Let me show you something else. Turn back to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. 4 and 5. Hebrews 13, verse 4 and verse 5. Marriage should be honored by all. Now, in our day and time in our society, there's been a, a whole thing to not even honor marriage. We want to take out the traditional definition. See, what we do, let me tell you what happens in our dictionary. What happens with words, interesting studying words. The study, the study of words is a, is a study called etymology. And when you deal with etymology, it's a study of words, how do words get to be what they are, how did they come into existence, how we define words. And so when people start using a word a certain way, definitions are made for it, and it becomes a part of 
the dictionary because of you, 